I'm going to pray, and uh, if you guys have your Bibles, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Uh, we're going to cover uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, in a study I've titled, Standing on God's Word. So um, if you guys are familiar with this section of Scripture, you know why that is the case. But uh, let's pray, and then I want to share, uh, share a little bit of my testimony before we jump into the Word and uh, why this is a special night for me. I'm blessed to get to be here with you guys, so... Father in heaven, thank you so much for just your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you, uh, even with the changes in that trip, thank you for the people that are there. Cover them, Lord. Protect them. Use them mightily. I pray you would win the loss to yourself, Lord, and that you would save souls. Uh, Continue to do a great work. And uh, Father, as we gather tonight, God, people came out to this place tonight to, uh, to worship you and to receive from your word. And so, God, as we get into the word of God tonight, I pray you would open up your word to us. Lord, we believe it's living and powerful, and so I pray you meet us where we are. Speak to us in a very clear way, God, that we might walk out of this place today closer to you than when we walked in. Uh, We give you this night, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, well, two things special to me. Uh, I I didn't grow up Christian, so I didn't didn't know the Lord as a kid. and I, had to, I guess I have to fast forward real quick. So when I was 19, I was living in Hawthorne. Uh, I had I gotten someone pregnant, and so I, I had a girl living with me. Um, you know, I was doing, I was partying, I was drinking every day. I sold marijuana. I did little credit card scams. I'll jack your car for your sounds if you had some. Um, that was that was what I was doing about that era of my life, and. That's a friend of mine, a friend of mine I grew up with in high school. He got saved uh, right at the end, tail end of high school. He got born again. He got really born again and may have been the first person that I knew uh, in my young life that was a Christian that was not just a Christian in word only. I I, I watched him repent. I watched his life change. Uh, He got saved over the radio, I believe, with Raw Reese. He graduated high school, married his girlfriend, and so they moved into my apartment building where I was living in all my sin, and they would happen to move right upstairs from me. Uh, this is the church where they were attending at that time. And so my buddy would come downstairs and just minister to me the gospel. And he was trying to love on me, and his wife was trying to do what she could do, and they were sharing with me the gospel. And I argued, and I fought, and I argued, and I fought, and I did all this stuff. But at the end of the day, um, he came down one day and he pleaded with me about hell and it worked. Um, and God worked a few things in order. He shared with me about hell. He brought this book down trying to answer all my questions. And it was all about hell. It had a whole page and it was all the verses about hell. It was outer darkness, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, forever and ever. You'll never get out. You need to get saved. You know, and I was like, I'm hearing it all over a 40. And, you know, <laughs> I didn't look convicted, but... There was something happening on the inside. And the very next day, I went to LAX airport where I had a little hustle there. And a guy walked up to me who I thought was maybe an undercover, a short guy. And he walked up and he handed me a track. And I took it and I put it in my pocket. When I went home that night, uh, I would go into the bathroom to count all my money. So, you know, nobody knew how much I had, you know. And uh, I pulled out this track. And I've never, I actually ordered these online. I found them. But it says on the front, what to do to go to hell. And when you open it up, in bold print, it says nothing. And it says, you are condemned already because you have not believed in the, only, the name of the only begotten Son of God, John 3.18. And in concert with my friend sharing with me and getting that track, 
The fear of God hit me in that apartment. I'm like, God is trying to warn me. I must, I'm about to die. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go to hell. And so I remember telling my friend, I said, dude, I want to get saved. And he being such a new believer, he was like, well, you got to wait till Sunday and I'll take you to my church. So I made my way here on Sunday night in 95 and I came, I mean, I came to get saved that night. I didn't, it didn't matter what the dude preached. I had come to get saved when he was done preaching and they said, you can go talk to the pastor. I'm, I'm coming to get saved. And I went, so this was the first church I ever stepped foot in and, you know, kind of made it official, my life with the Lord. So for me to get to be here today and share is a, is a blessing. It's a privilege. So, amen. So now as we look at Matthew 4, uh, verses 1 through 11, for you guys that are familiar, um, this is uh, this is a scenario about Jesus Christ, uh, where he is actually tempted by Satan on three different occasions. And this is an important section of scripture to me because I, I want to share this before we jump into that. When I did give my life to the Lord, um, I did grow a strong appetite for the Word of God. And this is what I found, and I believe this with all my heart is still true today. And uh, that's why I love, I love his word. I love this section of his word. I love all of it. But this is what I learned. There were so many things when I wasn't saved that I would kind of put my hope in. And I tried this, and it would let me down. And I tried people, and I tried things, and there was nothing that was really solid. You know, there are things that they looked like they were going to work out. I didn't work out. But when I got saved, I found that if I would do what God's word said do, it always worked. In every situation, in every area of my life, if I would yield to and obey what he said— and so I felt like finally I have something I can trust. I have something solid. I have something that, that God doesn't lie. The things that he says, so it, it behooved me to learn this book. Um, and, and God did away with a lot of the excuses. You know, I had a lot of excuses growing up. I had parents that didn't stay married. They got divorced when I was a little kid. They both struggled with substance abuse for a good part of my adolescence and young life. On and on and on. I had all these reasons to fail. And, you know, some of the things that people do today, oh, I, I don't know how to be a dad. I didn't have one. I don't know how to be a husband. My parents weren't married. And God would show me this. Everything you need, to, everything you need to know how to be the man I want you to be is in this book. And if you will read it and obey it, right? Everything you need. And that's true for everybody here tonight. Everything you need to be the person God wants you to be, it's in this book. And if you read it in faith and obey it, God will do a wonderful thing in your life. Amen. Let's look at Matthew 4, 1 through 11. All right, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so, um, you know, this is interesting. You know, we, we, we usually think of temptation or whatever as maybe something we got ourselves into. But in this instance, it said that Jesus was led up by the Spirit, that this was by divine design. He was going to go through a time of tempting or testing. And a better word for tempting is testing. And here's something I want you to consider, and you'll see this throughout Scripture, that the same scenario that Satan is intending to tempt you to fail, to tempt you to go away from God, to tempt you to do the wrong thing, that very same scenario, God is allowing it to prove you. It's a test to prove you. And anybody here that's ever been tested in your faith, um, God's never learning, right? When I, when, when I go through a test, it's not like God's like, oh, Bill, you, you did better than I thought. You know what I mean? I was really, I'm really surprised, you know. When we get tested, God already knows what's going to happen, but we find out, right? And I've had times in my walk with the Lord where I've been tested, and I was surprised at how well I did, you know. 
Uh, there are things that would happen, and I'm like, wow, back in the day, I, I would have I done this, but I didn't. I'm a new man. Praise the Lord. You know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all have had situations where I would have socked somebody, but I didn't. You know, I just smiled and said a prayer and went on about my life. But then I've also had this, the unfortunate times of God allowing a test to show me that there was something on the inside of me that I didn't know was there. And something comes out of me and I'm like, who, who said that? Who, who, who that was, you know, and, and it was me. And so sometimes he's showing you where you really are and that you might bring yourself back to him and humble yourself. But God's not learning through a test. We're learning. And the same thing that Satan wants to use to tempt you away, God is wanting to use it to prove it. You see that in the book of Job. You know, God allows Satan to, to mess with Job. But at the end of the book, God said, look, I, I intended, God intended to bless Job. And he did at the end of his life. Um, he, he bragged on Job. He put Job out there. It almost make you scared to be faithful. You know, God was, God was in heaven like, have you checked out my, my guy Job? There's none like him. He's bragging on him like, you know, and Satan was like, well, let me try. And so, but God did prove Job to be all that he said he was. And God blessed the end of his life in ways that um, you couldn't imagine. God gave him length of life and, and, and saw his grandkids and kids' kids for generations. And so back here, Jesus Christ, God the Son, left heaven where he was worshiped and adored rightly, and he came to earth, and he's enduring all sorts of things on our behalf. He didn't have to go through any of this. This is for you and for me. He's down here getting tempted. He's down here getting tested. And something I want you to consider as we watch Jesus go through this is many of the things that we watch, they're for our learning, right? Jesus is getting ready to teach you and me how to be victorious in times of testing. Uh, I doubt many of us are, are getting tested by Satan himself, right? Some of y'all may think that the devil, I'm promising y'all, most of us are not that big of a deal. Um, you know, there, he, got, he got minions. There's only one devil. There's only one Satan. You know, there's, he got demons and everything else. Most of us ain't as big a deal in the spirit realm as we think we are. And so most of us ain't calling, we ain't beckoning Satan himself. We got his minions um, and they're giving you all kind of trouble. So, but Jesus is dealing with Satan himself who is no nemesis to God. He's a created being, and he's a defeated foe, and his story is already written in the end of this book. Amen? But he comes to tempt Jesus, and what he attempts to tempt Jesus to do all three times is to derail him from God's true purpose, derail him from what God intended, as is the case in our lives, that every one of you that belong to the Lord, God, there's purpose in your life. Ephesians 2.10 says we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, right? That God's got purpose on the life of every believer. And Satan's agenda many times, I want to derail you from that. I want you to get into something that doesn't matter. I want you to get into the wrong thing. I want you to head off into the wrong relationship. I want you to move down and to get into the thing that you don't belong so you can't be where you're supposed to be doing what God intended for you to be doing. So we need to be very careful. So Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, verse 2, it says, and, he was, and, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. Um, so Jesus had spent time fasting. Uh, I, I've, I fasted before. Uh, never, ever fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to be honest. Uh, y'all looking at me like I, I, didn't, I didn't think you did, you know. So I've never fasted 40 days and 40 nights. But if you had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I'm positive that the number one temptation at that moment would be hunger. Amen. 
I mean, some of us, we fast. If you fasted four days, you'd be ready to eat a kid, you know. So <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. Well, here's a couple things. And um, if you study the Bible, what it does speak about fasting, it is a discipline that God expects believers to participate in. God doesn't tell us how frequently or how long, but in Matthew 6, you know, we got the three things that God says when you do. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, right? These are things if. If you're a disciple, you will have time. You will be generous. You will be benevolent. If you're a disciple, you will have time where you pray. And if you're a disciple, there will be times when you pass on the plate to pursue the master. And so prayer of fasting is something that God expects for believers to partake in. And there's a liberty to that. That's something between you and the Lord. You can figure out when and how, but it's something, it's a discipline that believers are to engage in. Uh, there's a time when Jesus came upon a, a, a demon-possessed child and the, the, a dad brought his son to the disciples and they couldn't cast it out. And then the dad brought the son to Jesus and Jesus asked a few questions and cast out the demons and the disciples, come. they came back kind of like they were embarrassed. And they came back to Jesus privately and said, hey, how come we couldn't do it? And he said, this kind comes out only by fast, but by fasting and prayer. And the interesting thing with fasting and prayer, that, that would have meant that they had to be doing this as a regular rhythm of life. It wasn't going to be something that they could have, you know, somebody show up with a demon. You can't say, hold on, let me go fast and get myself ready for, you know, it either has to be something that's in the rhythm of your life or it's not. And so it's an important spiritual discipline. Jesus had engaged in it for 40 days. And I believe if you fast 40 days, you may be physically weak, but you'll be spiritually built up, spiritually strong. Amen. And so he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And after that, he was hungry. In verse three, this is the first temptation. Uh, and it says, now when the tempter, another one of the names of Satan, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Um, if you write notes in your Bible, if you circle things, that word if is not really like a questioning. It really means since. J- Satan isn't saying if you are, like prove it to me. He's not since you are, then do this. You know, th- so it's not, an, it's not really if the way we use if. It's more since. Since you're the son of God, command that these stones be turned into bread. And so um, one thing I wrote down is that Satan hits you at your point of weakness, right? For Jesus, who was sinless, Jesus, who didn't have our crooked, corrupted sin nature, what are you going to tempt him with? You know, um, well, you fasted 40 days and 40 nights. I'm going to hit you with that. Turn those stones into bread. Since you're the son of God and you can do anything, you got all power and authority, do that. Right? Something you want to pay attention to in the scriptures, Jesus never did a miracle for him. Right? He always did. All the miracles were for the benefit of other people. He never did a miracle to take care of his own flesh or to appease his own flesh. He was always ministering. It was always for the benefit of other people. And so Satan hit him with a temptation that was, would have been at the point of his greatest weakness. Um, a lot of people see the, the correlation between um, 1 John two sixteen that says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life um, is not of the Father, but of the world. But those three areas of temptation Um, we see a connection between these three areas where Jesus is tempted in those three things. This would be the lust of the flesh um, to to take care, to to get something that you want for yourself. And so here's the first temptation. This is what Satan hits him with. This is what I would say to us. I think it's important for believers to know where they're weak, right? Do you know where you're weak at? Uh, How do I figure out where I'm weak? Where do you fail most often? Last time you failed, where was it? 
What was it in? That's where you're weak. And so it's important for us to know where we're weak um, so that we can bring that before the Lord and we can be uh, attentive to it. We can have our guard up. Uh, and I want you to, do I have any fighters here? Anybody here fight? Fight? Some of y'all brawl. I mean, like, like, any like martial arts, boxing, any legitimate fighting. Okay, we got way in the back. All right, keep my eye on him. So here, here goes the thing. If, if, if you're a fighter, right, let's say you're a boxer or you're a martial artist and you have matches, um, you need to know your who you, you know, you need to know yourself, where you're strong, where you're weak. And you also study your opponent. You want to know what are their strengths? What do they tend to do? What are their tendencies? What do they do so that you can be victorious? As we read this, you know, God has kind of given us game. You know, Jesus is exposing Satan. This is what he does. He hits you at the point of your weakness. He goes after, you know, tries to derail you from the plan of God. We know he's a liar. We know he's a murderer. We, we got all these insights about who he is. He causes confusion. All these things where you can identify this is from the enemy. Um, but it becomes very important for us that we be also able to acknowledge, and I'm weak here, right? If, if uh, I watched, you know, the, the, you know, these guys were going to fight and one guy realized that the guy he was going to fight is a lot, a lot faster and seems to have better cardio than him. And so he said, so I'm not going to be jumping all around and wear myself out because I'm not, I'm not that guy. That's my weakness, you know? He, so his idea was I, I got to wait till we're close enough because I hit harder. So I'll let him hop around, hop around, hop around. And I'll finally get my hands on him. And that's my tactic. I'll, I'll use my strength and his weakness to my benefit. Um, we need to know where we're weak at. Some Christians don't want to identify areas of weakness. Some people you ask them, hey, where's, where do you struggle at? Oh, I'm, I'm good. Everywhere? <laughs> right? If you're that Christian, somebody asks you, where, where, if somebody asks you where you struggle, if you just feel like, man, I'm good everywhere. Now, there's no holes in me whatsoever. You probably got more holes. You, you're one, you, got a, you got an area of pride. That's going to be one that you need to deal with. Maybe some dishonesty and, um, you know, and some, some cloudy vision. So we all have some holes and some weaknesses, and we need to be able to identify them so that we're praying, so that we're aware. What the Bible says for us, that when we are weak, what? He is strong. So when I'm aware that I'm weak, it's okay to acknowledge, God, I'm weak here. Because God says, when you're weak, then I'm strong. I'll be strong in you. And so we can acknowledge the weakness. We can acknowledge, God, I need, to, I need to be careful here. This is, you know, there are areas where because we know we're weak, we don't put ourselves in bad situations. You know, when I first got saved, I got, God delivered me from alcohol. So when I first got saved, I, and you had a fun, if you had a function with alcohol, I was not going to be at your function. Because I'm weak. It's not, it's no, it's, I'm not knocking you. I'm just not going to be at your function. Because I don't need to be where the alcohol is at. It's good for me. Um, I used to smoke. And so I, I did not hang out with anybody that smoked. I didn't want to smell a Newport in the air after I, you know, I'm like, no, nah, I've been, you've been free of it for a while and you get a, you get a whiff of it. And so, you know, for, for, there was a season of my life where God said, you got to pull out from everything because you're weak and you're weak in a lot of areas. You need to be able to acknowledge that. Some people can't really get going strong with the Lord because they, they, they're weak, but they want to be strong. I'm gonna, I, I, I can do it. I can do it. If, you, if you've been saying that for years and you're still not doing it, it'd be better if you went ahead and acknowledged, God, I'm weak here. Let me hang out in the right place with the right people and get built up. Maybe later God will send you back. But right now, it's okay to acknowledge I got some weaknesses. Amen. And so the tempter came and said, if or since you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. And Jesus responds in verse four, the way he responds each time. From the word of God, Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
Uh, each time Jesus responded, he responded from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 8 in particular, and he's just quoting. But I want us to note something about what Jesus does in a time of temptation because there's a lot to learn from it. Um, he doesn't succumb to the temptation, but he responds to the word of God. He says, this is the, tempta- the temptation is coming at me that says, wants me to, de- to the temptation wants me to do this, but God's word wants me to do that. And so I'm going to stand on what the word of God says. Now, here's a problem I see a lot of times in Christian circles. I don't think the problem most times is that we don't know the word or we don't know what we're supposed to do. Most times I find people know what they're supposed to do. They know what the Bible says about certain things, but they don't do it. And there's a problem with that. Um, If you know the word, the Bible says be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. What, What does that mean? How do you deceive yourself? There's a deception that happens when you know it, but you're not doing it. I once had a a marriage counseling appointment. This was years ago at another church, and I had a, a wife brought her husband in, and she set up the appointment, brought him in, and so we sat down. He was first annoyed because I was too young for his liking at the time, and we sat down, and we're going through this thing, and so I start, you know, after hearing all that was said both ways, I'm thinking, wow, this guy is really not loving his wife. So I said, let's, let's go to the word. And I went to Ephesians 5 and I read to him, you know, I, said, I, started, I started reading, you know, husbands, love your wives like Christ. He interrupted me and finished the verse. I know all that. And he, that's what he said to me. He's like, if you, can you tell me something we don't know? We already know all that. That's not what I came for. And I was like, you know, as nice as I could, I said, bruv, you was doing it. We wouldn't be here. You know, like it, you knowing the verse, you being able to quote the rest of the verse ain't helping your marriage. Your wife is not feeling that. She's not blessed because you could quote it, you know. And so, so too, in our spiritual experience, Satan don't care if you can quote a verse. Uh, there are some Christian circles that are really big on speaking the word. You got to speak the word, quote the word, confess the word. I'm going to tell you, Satan don't care about none of that. Obey the word. Do that. Satan ain't worried about, Amen. He's not worried about us being able to quote it and, and, and say it verbatim. You could rap it, rhyme it, poet, you know, <laughs> obey it. That's where the power is at. It's in doing what the word says do. That is supernatural. That is life transformative. And so Jesus does quote the word, but it's only significant because after he quotes it, he stands on that word. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. I'm not living for this bread. I'm living by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, and then he did so. Therefore, I will not turn stones into bread. Therefore, I'm not going to do this thing here. He stood upon the word of God. And so I would ask you, is there any area of your life tonight as you're listening that you would say, I know the word says this, and I'm not doing it. Is there any area of your life tonight that you would say, I know I'm supposed to do this, and I'm not? Or I know I'm not supposed to be carrying on in this thing but I am, based on what the Word says do. And I would simply ask you, encourage you, lovingly, could tonight be the night that you would repent and do do what the Word says do? Could tonight tonight be the night for you where you would say, God, I've been wrong. I I know what you said, and I've not been submitting to you, and I want to take Jesus' example because Jesus is my example of how to be victorious over the enemy. Jesus is my example of how to not be ripped off by the enemy. Jesus is my example of how to not be derailed by the enemy of my soul. God, could tonight be the night for you 
that you would stop resisting and stop rebelling and stop disobeying and yield to the Lord. Uh, Because when you read the word, that's God. This is God's word. John 1, 1 said, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And so as you study the word of God, you're yielding to the scriptures, you're yielding to God. And when you rebel against and resist the word of God, you're resisting and rebelling against the Lord who loves you. And so we want to take from Jesus' example, who both knew the word um, and the goal of knowing it is doing it. Amen. And that's what we see him doing. So moving on, um, verse five, the second temptation uh, says, but he, he, I'm sorry, verse five says, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him once again, if or since you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Here we have a temptation of the pride of life. Satan takes Jesus up to a pinnacle of the temple and said, look, since you're the son of God, throw yourself down. I want you to note what Satan did. He's a quick learner. He said, oh, you like the word of God. Oh, you like to quote scripture. You guys know that Satan knows the word of God. He'd been here a long time. He'd been here since the Garden of Eden. So he'd been here a long time studying and, and he knows these things. And so he dug into the word of God. He gives, but he does this, which you see on TV a lot today. He gives a misquotation of Psalms 91.11. He negates, he leaves out a section of the verse. Um, it says, he shall give his angels charge over you. And he leaves out the part that says, to keep you in all your ways. Um, then he, he just, and he goes right into, and in their hands, just, you know, bear you up, least you dash your foot against a stone. Satan took the word and left out an important piece and said, here, Jump off this temple because the word says the angels will come get you. Um, now, this becomes important for us as believers because we today live in a time, I don't, I don't, I guess it's always been the case, but I'm, I guess I'm alive today, so I'm seeing it, I'm aware of it. There's so much mishandling of the word of God in our culture. And now it's not just cults, they're Christian groups, they're churches, they're, they're, they're groups that look like us, they gather like us, they sing the same songs we sing, but they get up here and say things that are totally different and preach a gospel that's totally different from what we hear in the Word of God. And so if you don't know it for yourself, then you'll you be a victim. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses will go to your door. And, you know, they, they really want people that believe the Bible but don't know it. That's what they want. They want someone that's, you believe the Bible? Oh, you have one? Oh, great. And you go get it, and they're like, okay, go get your Bible. And they're excited until they find out that you know it. Uh, we had some show up at our door a few weeks ago. And I didn't want to do it. You know, I was like, oh, I don't like doing it. My wife was sitting there. My wife and daughter were on the couch. And they were like, do it, do it. We're gonna, and they sat there and they're like, we're going to just watch. Just do it, do it. And so, well, I did it, you know. And, and, and they don't mind you having a Bible, believing the Bible. It actually is what they need that. But they don't want you to know it. They don't want you to know it. They don't want you to believe it. They don't want you to be immovable about it. And so we live in a time today, you guys, where we really need to be people that know the word of God. We need to know the God of the word. One of the things that the Holy Spirit will do is guide you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit will be there giving you, you'll know in your heart, there's something's not right with this thing right here. I don't even know what it is. That same couple that led me to the Lord, right? They were brand new Christians. And the wife was working at a bank. And somebody at her bank was a believer or some you know, said they were. And they said, hey, we want to come to your apartment and do Bible studies. 
And she said, oh, great. We love that. And so my buddy called me and said, hey, these people from my wife's job are going to be coming over to do a Bible study. And I was like, cool, I'm in. I'm saved now. So I'm like, I'm in. You know, I'm rolling over with my little NIV devotional men's Bible. Let's do this thing, you know. But we get there and all the women go to the back with her and all the men stay up in the front. And I was like, why did cart your wife off like that? That's, that's weird. That was weird to me. And, uh, but we're sitting there and I realized it wasn't like a Bible study, like one guy teaching and everybody learning. I'm like, no, all these people, they're all talking to us. This is, this is weird. It just, it feel, it just, you know, I didn't, I didn't know John 3.16 at that time. I barely just knew Jesus and I missed hell. That was it. And, um, but we had the Holy Spirit. And when they left, I remember saying, it just that didn't seem right. And my buddy was like, I know it just seemed weird. So I called the pastor of the church that I had started going to and I explained to him. I started explaining to him what it was. He said, is that called the Church of Christ? I was like, yeah, how you know? He was like, it's a cult. Tell them don't come back. And then when you tell them don't come back, it's like a telemarketer. You know, they're, they're, they, they keep calling and dialing and everything else. But um, I, I always look back to that time and think, God, when I didn't know anything but you, you protected. Right. And so, you know, we want to study to show ourselves approved, but we really just want to know the God of the Bible. And we want to submit to him and be yielded to him because he will guide you in and out of things. God will say, no, don't do that. He'll lead you like a place like this where it's going to be healthy, where you're going to get the word of God and there's going to be healthy believers all around you. God will direct you right where you need to be. And so um, Satan, Satan knows the word of God and he digs into it. And so we don't want to be naive. Uh, we don't want to be those that are just kind of easily just believing everybody. You want to be very discerning today. You want to be discerning about who you listen to and where are they coming from and where does it say that at? And, and go read that in context for yourself and be a Berean and judge what you're reading by what the Bible says on your own. Don't be lazy. False teachers prey on lazy believers. Uh, that's their favorite tray. Believers that, you know, you're just lazy. You, you, whatever they say, you're going to take their word for it. Don't be like that. Be a Berean. Go check it out. Go home after Bible study. Go home and read it again for yourself. Read before the, the message and after the message and let the Lord continue to, because if it was a good message and was true, God will just sow it in a little deeper. But if it was something bogus and false, God can redirect you and identify to you the people that you need to stay away from. And so Satan dug into the word of God. Again, he misquotes it. And he presented to Jesus and he's tempting Jesus to, you know, try to get something now that, you know, you know, show, show, show me your power. You know, since, since you're the son of God, just jump off this building, demonstrate God's power by doing this. And Jesus again responds by quoting scripture. Look at verse seven. Then Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And once again, he doesn't just know the word, quote the word, but he says it, then he stands on it. I believe this. You you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Therefore, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm not going to be running off of some buildings because the Bible says don't tempt the Lord thy God. And so that's, again, another example of Jesus saying, look, I I know what God's word says, and I'm going to stand on what he tells me to do. Now, verse 8 and 9, this is the final, the third and final temptation And it says, and again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. 
And we learn a few things about the enemy here. You go throughout your Bible, you guys, you're going to see this about the enemy. He always wants that which belongs to the Lord. He wants God's people. He wants God's worship. He got kicked out of heaven because he was no longer content to bring glory to God. He's like, I want some of that. I, I want to I be glorified. I want to be worshiped. I don't want to just be worshiped. I want to be like the most high. And God said, no, no, you won't. And he got booted out. That's what happened. But he hasn't changed. He still wants what belongs to God. I, he, want, he'll still, he wants to steal God's worship. He wants to derail God's people. Anything that belongs to God, he wants. And so here he takes Satan up and shows him all the, the world and all the glory, all the kingdoms of the world and all their glories. I'll give it to you now without the cross. I'll give you a shortcut. All that cross and death and you could miss all that. Just bow down and worship me. Give me what only belongs to God and I'll give it to you. Now, some people look at that and they say, well, how could Satan offer that? Right? Well, Adam and Eve forfeited in the garden. They, they were given dominion and authority. They forfeited it. Satan is now the prince and power of the air. He will be defeated. He will be dethroned. He's not reigning forever. But right now, he is a prince in power. So, you know, a lot of times people are like, well, why does God let all these things in all? Satan, give him the credit. It's him. He's the one that's wrecking havoc and tearing up things everywhere we go. Um, and, but Satan takes Jesus up and says, I'll give it to you now if you'll bow down and worship me. And I want you to note this temptation because it's the lust of the eyes and Satan will many times offer to you something that God has for you, but, but in, in the wrong time frame, right? There, there'll be single people, and God, there are things that God has for you. Uh, how many single people do we have? That If you're single, you want to be unsingled. Raise your hand. Raise it high. They're looking, all right? If you want to be unsingled. All right, so if you're single and you will be married one day, there are things God has for you. Then, after the altar, afterwards. Amen? Say it like you mean it, single people. All right? Um, now, Satan will tempt you to, now you can, you can have it now. You can have it now. It's okay. He gave you a ring. It's a promise, that this eighth ring you've had, but you got a ring, you know, you got a promise or whatever. Be careful. He's good at that. Satan will offer us things out of God's timing, not in the right timing, not God's will, not what God wants to do right now. And it might even be good things. It might be things that God has for you. Some of you guys, God is slowly raising you up. Don't get impatient. Don't, don't get impatient with the Lord. This, this is the, the thing God does to us is God, God loves to have us wait. You know why? I believe this. I believe that when we're waiting, you know, some of us are not as faithful as we need to be most of the time. But you, when, you, when I see people waiting on God for something, they, got, they have God's has their full undivided attention. You know, I like to train dogs. Uh, this is maybe a terrible analogy, but y'all understand what I'm saying. Um, my daughter's dog is, you know, it's just not a, he's not a very obedient dog. But if I have food or snacks or treats, if I say the word treat, if I act like I'm holding a treat in the air, this dog's eyes are about to pop out of his little head. He's, he's, I have his undivided, I can walk around, I can swirl. He is going to follow me. Until, you know, he gets whatever's in my hand or whatever, I have his undivided attention. Sometimes with believers, it'd be nice if we would just give God our undivided attention because, because of the cross. Amen? Because he died on that thing for you and for me. That's what we should do. But, but sometimes, amen, but sometimes we don't give him that 
and everything else has your attention. And so God will put you in a position where you're waiting. You're desperate. God, I really, I, I need this job. I need this thing to come through. And God's, man, you're faithful. You're in fellowship. You're at Bible study. You, you even make it to a prayer gathering. I mean, God is like, man, I, I've, we, we've never been so close. I'm going I'm to drag this thing out a little bit. I, I'm really enjoying the intimacy we're having right now. And I know as soon as you get it, you're going to be gone. So we're going to hang out here a little while. So I really believe that that's why we have to wait sometimes. And so I got a nice little acronym for wait so that you don't wait all anxious and uncomfortable. Um, Worship and intimate time. If God's got you in a season where you're waiting, let it be a time where you're waiting and you're worshiping and having intimate time with the Lord. Let it be all that it's supposed to be. Let it be a sweet time with you and Jesus. And so, um, but God has us to wait. And sometimes, like here, Satan is uh, attempting to offer Jesus the, 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 the crown without the cross. I'll give it to you now. Uh, you don't have to go God's way. You don't have to struggle through doing it the way God said. You can have it right now. Here's a shortcut. Don't bite that bait. Don't take Satan's shortcut, right? What if Jesus had a bit this bait? We'd all be going to hell. What a sad thing. What if Jesus had said, okay, I want it now. That word, the word that have left all of us. We needed him to go to the cross because we so bad. And so Satan was saying, look, forget about all of them. I'll give you that stuff now. Just don't go die for them. He wasn't going to die for him. He was going to die for you and me. Amen. And so remember that next time you feel tempted to skip the, the process, tempted to go early, you, you need to remember who Jesus is and remember what he did for you. Remember what he endured for you. This is everything about the God. It was all for you and for me. Right? He suffered for us. He left heaven where they treated him right, where he was worshiped day and night. Said the angels 24-7, you know, holy, holy, holy. I mean, they, give him, they give him all the glory he deserves. He left all of that, came to earth, had a mama tell him what to do, had disciples that he had to train, had people disrespect him, had Pharisees asking him stupid questions, and he answered them. He endured all that, had false accusations, just took it and went all the way to the cross. And he was humiliated and he was stripped and he was beaten and he was separated from the father for the first time in history so that you and me wouldn't have to be. Jesus is amazing. Amen. And that's I mean, that's when the enemy tempts you to to go away from him, to to do what he doesn't want. Sometimes we need to remember, we need to just meditate on the cross. When we take communion, we need to remember the broken body and the shed blood. The, the words that Jesus said when he shared that memorial, he said, look, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, I did this for you. Don't forget this, right? This is the motive for everything we do as Christians. This is the motive for Christian service. This is the motive for Christian living. This is, the mo- this is why we're going to die to ourselves and, and honor God because he died for me. He gave everything for us. And so, God, whatever you want with the rest of this little life, you can have it. Amen? He deserves it. He deserves all that. And so, you know, Satan came and said, you know, I'll give you all this glory now. And praise God that Jesus is no chump. And he didn't go for that. And he said in verse 10, away with you, Satan. Kick rocks, beat it. That's in the Greek. That's what it said. You know, (laughs) kick rocks, Satan. Get out of here. He says, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. And him only you shall serve. Right? And Jesus said, look, no, no, I would not bow down to you. Get out of here with that mess. I only worship the Lord. Him only. 
shall we serve. I will not worship you. I will not serve you. I worship God. And once again, Jesus has provided for you and me an example. And so I want to rehearse a few things and we, I want to take us through a bunch of verses. And so I hope you're note takers. I want to give you some things that you can take home and read and sow into your own heart and life that, that God might just cause us to be victorious, that we might take from his example. I hope that from tonight, that as we read these things that we walk out of this place tonight, people that are walking stronger with the Lord, being more obedient, that we're more attentive to the word with the intent to obey what we hear, that God might get the glory. What if, what if everybody in this church, all this, this is a big church, what if everybody in a place this big would just sell out to obey, to, 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 to study, hear, and obey the word of God? God, a t- man, God, a, God, a do something in South Bay. He's doing something in South Bay, but how much more? Or what if everybody was on that program? And, um, and that's the goal. That's where we want to be. Amen? So here's the thing. Um, as you consider the lesson that we're getting from Christ. Uh, you know, he's dealing with Satan himself. Uh, these temptations are coming back to back to back to back. We learn some stuff about the enemy. And I want to real quick, I want to put the enemy on blast. So I'm going to tell you some stuff about Satan. And I'm going to bring it back to Jesus. And then we're going to go look at some verses about the word of God. Here's what we know about Satan from the Bible. He speaks three times. And all three times Satan spoke, it was trying to derail people, divide people from God. He spoke to Eve. He told Eve, did God really say you couldn't eat it that free? That's messed up. That's a paraphrase. You know, you know God knows. And he, then he lied on God and said, you won't surely die. And so she ate it. He tricked her. And the first time we hear him speaking there in Genesis, he's there telling Eve that God lied to her. But he was the liar. Um, then we see him in Job. In the book of Job, we see God, Satan speaking to God. And Satan tells God, Job doesn't love you for nothing. Look how you blessed him. Let me touch him. He, he, he only loves you because you blessed him. Let me touch all that he has on every side and he will curse you to your face. So we know that all that Satan did to Job was with the intent. I want to get Job mad at God. Pay attention to that. I get really upset when I hear Christians say they're mad at God. Mad at God for what? I don't care what happened, who died, what the doctor said. He died on a cross for you. He took care of the most important thing. I don't care what's happening in the earth realm. Don't lose sight, family. The most important thing every human being needs is the forgiveness of sins, that you will not spend eternity separated from God in hell, but that you will go to be with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Don't be mad at God about some temporary stuff. People get mad at God for not keeping promises that he never made. God never said people you love won't die. God never said you might not get sick. God never said they won't leave or the job won't. He never said that. So don't get mad at him when things happen that he never promised wouldn't happen. It's a trick of the enemy. Satan killed all of Job's kids in a single day. He took all of Job's wealth in a single day with the intent of making him mad at God to the point where he would curse God. And Job, it's the biggest in your face in the Bible because you know what Job did? He worshiped. He didn't speak a curse. He spoke a blessing. He said, naked I came, naked I'll return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is given, the Lord taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I'm sure God was like, I told you, <laughs> I told you, you know. But we saw him speak there. And then we saw him speak in Matthew 4 again, trying to derail Jesus from his program. And so we know that that's what he wants to do. The Bible tells us in John 8, that Satan is a liar and a murderer. He's a father of all lies. And so when he lies, he speaks from his own resources. That's what he does. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that he's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 
I watch the animal channel. If you watch the lions hunt, they lay down in the cut, in the grass. They take six-hour naps in the middle of the day. A herd of animal will roll in and don't even know they're laying down. They wake up from their nap and they're like, which one you want? And they can communicate without talking and they got a whole plan and the women lion get all together and they wham, they go get them. And if you watch them eat, they devour. They don't leave anything but it's just a carcass, a sad carcass too. And then they bring the little babies and y'all get some of that too. And so when it says that Satan is roaring like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, he's not playing with you. He's not playing with you. You don't want to be playing around with the enemy and the enemy stuff. He's not playing with you. He's trying to devour you. He's trying to rip you off, wreck you, destroy you, and be done with you when it's all said and done. Know that about your enemy, right? Those are some things we know about him. There's more, but that's enough. Um, The bigger deal is this. He's a defeated foe. And everything that you and I need to be victorious is wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Our victory is going to be in him. Our victory, all the victory that you need is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. The first victory you need is the forgiveness of sins. And there's anybody listening tonight that is unsure. If you're here and you've never surrendered your heart to Christ, if you don't know that if you die today, you're going to heaven. If you're not sure about that, you can be sure about that. Jesus died on the cross. He did the heavy lifting already. He took your sins upon himself. He paid in full on the cross. And everyone that would believe in him, everyone that would place their faith in him, God will save you. He will forgive you. He will, he will put his holy, he will send his Holy Spirit to live inside you because you'll never become holy without help. And so God will come and take up residence in you and God will begin to do a new thing in your life. And if you've just been a church person, but you can't mark a time where God made you new, when, when, when there was repentance, when there was transformation, where there was change, some people just add going to church and they're like, yeah, I've been going to church my whole life, but that life is not transformed. You're doing the same stuff. There's, not, there's nothing transformed. There doesn't seem to be any relationship here. If you have a relationship with the living God, let me tell you, you can't be the same. You won't be perfect, but you will not be the same. And so if you've never had that encounter with the Lord, let tonight be the night. Why not? Why would you waste another opportunity? Why would you waste another moment? Um, we understand that the enemy is real, but God is even more real. And his ability to save and his willingness to save, there isn't anyone that wants God that God would turn away. Romans 10, 13 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All. And that's, that's, that means if you call him out, he's, received, he's receiving you to himself. And so I do encourage anybody that's here that's never done that, that when we're done, we're going to give an opportunity and just say, man, let tonight be the night. Give yourself to the Lord. Best thing you ever do with this life is give it to Jesus. And if you've known the Lord, but you've been distant, best thing you could do is give it back. God, take, take this. Take my life. Have it. And the awesome thing with the Lord is he'll take you back. He'd be excited to have you back. The prodigal son went and disrespected his dad, spent all the money, lived a reckless life. And when he came home, the dad ran out, fell on his neck, kissed him, and threw a party. Received him in joy. And so I want to close with these things. If you're a note taker, I want you to write these verses down. These are all just different areas where the word of God is significant and helpful in the life of the believer. I want you to write these down. But before we do the last verse, it said in verse 11, that the devil took him, the devil left him, I'm sorry, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So after Jesus stood on the word three times, Satan finally said, ah, I had enough for today. He'd be back another time, Luke tells us. But 
He has enough. And the Bible tells you guys, tells us in, in James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll what? He'll flee. Satan will have enough at a certain point. You take out the sword of the spirit and keep jabbing him. And at a point, he's like, okay, fine. There's an easier target somewhere else. You know, and so if you're going to be a man or woman that stands on the word of God, Satan will have enough at a point and he will go. And he left Jesus alone and the angels came and ministered unto him. But I want you to write these verses down. Write down 1 Peter 2, 2 and 3. It says, as newborn babes desire the sincere, the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Um, We're encouraged to, to as newborn babes, we need to have an appetite for the word. And so if you're sitting here, you say, hey, I struggle with reading my Bible. I struggle with having devotions. I struggle with getting in the word. And when I say devotions, I'm not talking about reading Tozer. That's cool. But I'm saying you and your Bible, you and God, direct connect. You receiving direct from God in his word. Um, you want to develop an appetite for it. And the only way you're going to develop an appetite is to start doing it. And, and you'll do it and God will speak to you sometimes. It'll, it'll, be a blow, it'll blow you away sometimes. And other days you'll just have done it. But you do it every day. You make it a habit. God, I'm going to spend time in your word. Develop an appetite. It says, as newborn babes, I've had four kids. And, um, you know, you get a newborn baby, they just want to eat. I used to play with my kids. My wife, she nursed the kids. And so, you know, I would be holding them and you could tell they wanted to eat because they were like, uh, uh, uh. You know, they're looking for something. I, I'll let them get my nose. And they're like, it's, it's, nothing's coming out, you know. But, um, I mean, they were just voracious. I want something to eat now, you know. And so God says, as newborn babes, desire the word. Do you desire it? And if you don't, the way you, the way you kick that appetite in is start doing it. You, you just be disciplined to show up tomorrow morning and you spend some time with Jesus and you do it until you develop an appetite for his word. Next, write down Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We walk in a very dark world and God says, but my word is a lamp and a light. It's a lamp to give general direction, and it's a light to give step-by-step direction. God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light into your path. He will give direction to us so we know where to go and what to do. And there are times where you read the word, and God's just kind of giving general direction. We know that we should be headed that way. But there'll be times where God is very specific with you. God answers questions. He's things that are on your heart as you read, and you just sense that God has given you answers, speaking to you through the word. Um, But if you don't open it up, you're going to be missing all that. Psalm 119, if you're here, if you're struggling with sin or bondage or any area, says Psalm 119, verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to the word, right? How do I overcome things I'm battling with? Take heed to the word of God. What we just saw Jesus do, read it and obey it. Do what it says do. Last one, this one I'm going to close with, and I want to give an opportunity for people to respond. James 121 says, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Right. It says, lay aside filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and just sin and all this carnality. Lay it aside and receive with meekness the implanted word is able to save your souls. And I'd like to close right now and just give an opportunity for um, anybody here that needs to receive the Lord, or maybe you need to come back. Um, The Lord will have you back, and God will begin just a new and a fresh to work in your life tonight. But let's give ourselves. I'm encouraging everybody here. If you you walked into here tonight, praise God, and you weren't right, you're not where you need to be, you can walk out of here right with the Lord. 
Jesus has made that available and made that possible. And so I beg you to take advantage of what Christ has made available to you tonight. So would you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We believe that it's everything that you say it is. It's living and powerful. That, Lord, through it, you transform our lives. You save souls. You give us direction, Lord. Uh, God, I pray right now for all that are present, Lord. There are believers. And if there are people here that don't know you or that need to come back to you, God, I pray you give them boldness, that you would, by your spirit, Lord, uh, just draw them. Draw them to yourself, Lord. Help them to see their need to be right with you, their need for forgiveness from you, that they might reach out and take hold of all that you make available. God, I pray you move among us tonight, that you strengthen believers, that you would build your church up, and that, God, you would draw to yourself all that need to come to you. And so I'm going to ask right now, if there's anybody that you're listening or you've been listening and the Lord's been speaking to your heart and you know that for you tonight is a night of salvation. You need to come to the Lord or come back to the Lord. I'm going to ask that wherever you are, you would just stand to your feet, um, just acknowledging that God bless you, that God is speaking to you and uh, that you're responding yes to him. Amen. Anybody else? And you guys can celebrate this. The Bible says when one person turns back to the Lord, that all of heaven rejoices. And so we can give God a glory as he's calling people back to himself. Amen. Anybody else? Please don't be shy. If you're here and you're seated and and God is speaking, do it tonight. There's so many things that we can do and have done that are shameful. But saying yes to Jesus, saying, yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness. God, I want to come back. That's not something that we'll ever be ashamed of. No one will be ashamed of this. Anybody else? God is speaking to you and tonight is for you a night to come. Stand to your feet. We want to pray for you. Amen. All right. I want to lead you in a prayer. There's no magic prayer, right? What we do, you guys, you guys that are standing and God has spoken to you, if you're coming to the Lord, it's, it's, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord of your life and that they believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you would be saved, right? The work has been done. Jesus died in your place. He took all your sin, your guilt, your shame, and he loves you and he wants to save you. And if you're just coming back to him, right? He wants you back. He told, Peter said this to a group he preached to in Acts 3.19. He said, repent therefore and be converted that your sins will be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And I pray that God would forgive you, cleanse you, and that you would be refreshed tonight. And so I'm going to invite you guys to pray this out loud. If you're here and you're a believer, you can pray this out loud. We're going to confess Jesus as Lord, but pray this with me. Say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you that he rose from the grave and overcame sin, death, and Satan for me. I confess you as the Lord of my life, and I ask that you would have your way in my life from this day on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.